You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me this week is Jeff Ranke, and Andy Zoll is back. How are you doing, Andy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for doing this. Anna, we hope you feel better soon. Man, that uh, it's just that time of year, right? Well, I was talking to Anna, and one of the good things... The many good things about having my children fully grown almost yeah. and, and stuff is I've been through this stage where they brought home everything they possibly could from school. Yeah. I feel like I'm super immune, yeah. but I think you and her are sort of still being exposed to all of those oh. wonderful different things that they can bring home from their It's friends. just the many shades of green oozing out of them and yeah. their classmates. It's good. It's good. You know, I feel like we're a little ahead of it because we've had the kids in daycare since they were infants. So, you know, they're in school. They at least... I don't know. They still bring home everything. So you say you are gonna until like junior high, until you get to like high school. I feel like they just bring home new stuff constantly. That's good. That's just good. a petri dish in your home there. Well, and the littlest one, he just really likes to. He's the hands in the mouth at all times. Perfect. And so he's, we just need a lot of wipes. All right. Well, before we get started, I'd like to tell you that every week we cover the five biggest stories in manufacturing and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. We also have a lot of experience, more than 15 years each. So generally, we know what we're talking about. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Andy at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live every Thursday at 1.30, so make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube at IN Magazine to get a notification. We are at about 10 people away from our next threshold of like, 8,000 subscribers on YouTube. So I'm hoping we can push through this week, Jeff. It's all on you, Andy. No yeah. pressure. Ooh, yeah. We'll, we'll see about that one. I don't know. <laughs> Send the blanket might need text. A, might need Anna back for that one, but we'll I'll do my best. Blanket text to the entire family. Yeah. Well, need you to subscribe. See if my mom knows how to turn on a computer. We are also approaching another milestone. This is episode 97. Only three more episodes Ooh. to go to the big 100. And then we're done, right? I, oh, whoa, no. oh my no. goodness. Okay. If that is, if that's the notice, <laughs> the well, content I guess that's mill fair. keeps grinding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like some suggestions as to, uh, you know, how we could maybe spice up that episode a little bit or in true today in manufacturing form, we just do it straight and don't even mention it. <laughs> Before we get started with our first story this week, we have a word from our new sponsor, Bright Machines. Manufacturing is long overdue for an overhaul. Transformation will commence in three, redesigning for intelligent automation, deploying software first solutions, two, driving continuous improvement, one, flexibility, scalability, resilience, factory transformation complete. Bright Machines. Let the new era of manufacturing begin. And we're back. And now the read. Bright Machines is a manufacturing technology company pioneering intelligent software-defined automation for electronics assembly. It leverages a full-stack approach to fundamentally change the flexibility, scalability, and economics of production. Bright Machines is reimagining how products can be designed and produced to address the realities of today and the future ahead. Jeff, that sounds like all good things. Can't argue that. 
No, if you want more information, go to brightmachines.com backslash contact us. Our first story this week, Tesla delivers electric semis to PepsiCo at Nevada factory. Last Thursday, Tesla delivered the company's first electric semis to PepsiCo. The trucks have a range of 500 miles per charge when pulling an 82,000-pound load. CEO Elon Musk drove one of the three semis at the event, which, if you can believe it, was live-streamed on Twitter. PepsiCo is working on a zero-emissions freight project at its Frito-Lay facility in Modesto, California. The project is funded by a $15.4 million clean freight technology grant from the California Air Resources Board. The project includes 15 Tesla battery electric tractors and other electric and natural gas-powered trucks. Tesla plans to ramp up semi-production to make 50,000 trucks in 2024 in North America. Electric semis are eligible for a federal tax credit of up to $40,000. Hydrogen-powered competitors say battery-powered trucks won't work for the long haul because recharging will take too long. Jeff, Musk says, nuh-uh. <laughs> Hydrogen rears its head once more here in a um, um, EV-type story. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting how much we're hearing more and more about that. Um, you got to give it to Musk on one hand, regardless of what you think. Otherwise, he knows how to throw on, he knows how to put on a press event. Mm-hmm. Like it is always impressive. They've got these great industrial settings, like an old warehouse or something, the lights, the theatrics. It's pretty impressive. He drives the trucks out and all that. So it's a great start. I hope it can continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. The real test here, as you mentioned, it a $15.5 million grant, $40,000 tax incentive for each one of these. What's going to be interesting down the road is, how people feel once those things go away, mm-hmm. and if this is a real viable alternative, um, especially when you look at the fact that these trucks run about four hundred grand a piece, that's three to four times more than a standard model. Mm-hmm. So again, they're going to have to prove themselves, and what they're going to have to try to avoid is a lot of things that happen to the Tesla vehicles. When a Tesla vehicle catches on fire, granted, we know why it gets headlines, we know why it gets more exposure. It's because it's Tesla and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at the people that they're partnering with initially on these semis, Walmart, Budweiser, Meyer, a bunch of other big grocery chains, a lot of right. other prominent logistics providers and trucking companies, they are not going to sit well to have their name in a headline next to a Tesla truck fire. Right. Okay. That is going to sever that relationship very, very quickly. So what's going to be important is beyond the showmanship, beyond the technology that looks very promising, they need to iron out all these kinks. This needs to go even more smoothly than any of the quality issues that they had to deal with with the Tesla vehicles, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes from here. No, you're right. Because, you know, with the car, if it has issues, you have a small base of, you know, people that are kind of put out of commission for a little bit. But if you start disrupting the supply chain of a PepsiCo, there are going to be immediate ramifications. Um, Andy, what were your thoughts when you saw Musk ride up in that semi? So for all of the bluster of Elon Musk and Tesla that we've gone over ad nauseum in this space and elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, that company pretty much single-handedly made EVs a viable option for your basic car buyer mm-hmm. in the in the last decade or so. Um, and this is – so if they can do that for this, it's arguably going to be even more important because uh, long-haul trucking, heavy-duty trucking is such an outsized part – of the emissions problem from the transportation sector. Now, 
Uh, these numbers are a couple of years old, but uh, this is the Environmental Defense Fund said that trucks were 4% of the overall vehicle fleet, mm-hmm. um, but they were 7% of overall greenhouse gas emissions. Now, that's anything that emits greenhouse gases, not just transportation. For transportation alone, uh, this is an EPA number, but they said 26. So 4% of vehicles, 26% of emissions. Wow. Um, and it's even more, it's the majority of uh, particulate nitrogen oxides, uh, that sort of thing. So um, if they can pull this off, um, it's going to be even even greater impact than it was for, for your standard passenger vehicle. Um, and uh, kudos to Pepsi for doing this too, but it's it's almost like a, it's a pilot project. It almost seems like if they don't stick with it, um, it's almost like an easy way to get your your name out there. Yeah. So the real test is going to be if they can move this for both companies, for both mm-hmm. Pepsi and all these other companies partnering with them. The real test is going to be whether it sticks. So we'll have to see. Yeah, because the projects, but all, all of it is heavily subsidized. Yes. Um, Jeff, one thing that I noticed is we kind of said the same thing about EVs regarding those rebates and whether or not uh, they would kind of pick up steam once the rebates went away. And then it kind of, we kind of flirted with the rebate going away. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, no, 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 we'll keep it. We'll keep it. Uh, do you think a similar thing might happen where, you know, they offer these rebates for so long and then once they realize we're too deep into the EV semi-truck game that no matter what, it's got to stay? No, I think this is one that that has a potential to go away because if it does deliver on all of the cost savings that Tesla touts, yeah. I think it was something like $200,000 in fuel savings a year or something like that. If it can actually follow through on that, I think they'll be good, mm-hmm. especially. And what's going to be interesting here too is they're right now they're looking at about a 500 miles between charges uh, until it's fully charged. Yeah. So what happens if you are on a longer haul? Now, eventually over time, you'd think the batteries are going to become more durable. The ranges are going to be extended out for longer haul trucking. I don't know how much further they can go or how soon. But one of the biggest issues with over the road trucking too is how much time the driver spends behind the wheel on the road. Mm-hmm. So is that charging time, because you're going to have to be near the vehicle. It's not like you can just, you know, walk in while the semi is charging up. Yeah, Maybe you can. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'd be a little nervous about that. But uh, how is that going to work out, too, in terms of how long the drivers are going to be on the road? How does that charging time play into that dynamic? How do drivers feel about driving an electric truck versus a, a gas engine? Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some inherent benefits there in terms of the acceleration time. You're looking at uh, I can get zero to 60 and basically three times quicker than a mm-hmm. traditional vehicle. Yeah. So there could be some other savings there, too, that come out. And if all those things do happen, to get back to your initial question, um, <laughs> no, I think they can go away with some of these rebates and not feel the repercussions as strongly because there are some of these bigger picture savings um, involved. I'm interested to see if any of the technology from the semi trickles down to uh, you know regular EVs, consumer EVs. Just because if you think of the one vehicle that just gets beat up the most, it is a semi truck because it's always it is always in service. And, you know, one of the big concerns is longevity of these batteries. These have to be huge batteries. But I mean, in order to be cost effective, they have to, you know, be. I mean, for lack of a better term, like robust, you know? Yeah. I think the weight is going to be a big thing. You yeah. Know? Uh, Andy, you write a lot on the did a lot with the design and development part of uh, this type of technology. You can probably comment on that a little bit more, but I would think the weight is going to be a big part of that development that could trickle down on the consumer yeah, side. Yeah, electric vehicles are inherently lighter, so you would hope that would yeah. that would play a part in this too. Okay. Uh, the semi was unveiled in November of 2017. Musk said production would begin in 2019, and the trucks would be able to follow each other autonomously in a convoy. Obviously, 
full self-driving isn't there yet, but that could be another thing, especially with the driver shortages that we've seen, uh, could be an incredible game changer as well. The other thing I noticed is that, you know, some people are kind of getting at them for saying that they were going to be on the road by 2019 and it's 2022, like three years later, here we are. It's like, they still created an electric semi <laughs> in like five years. Just give the guys some credit. In, in the there was that whole pandemic and supply chain disruption thing going on too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, my final thought was about the event being live streamed on Twitter. And now that Musk owns that, do you think Musk and or his companies might be doing more PR via Twitter because of that role? I mean, they dissolved their press office, right? So how else are you going to get the message out there? Yeah, I guess. I guess. All right. Be hypocritical if he didn't, I yeah. guess. It'd be kind of weird. but yeah. Make yeah. sure to put it on Facebook. Don't put it on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. All right. Our next most popular story this week. Pentagon debuts its new stealth bomber, the B-21 Raider. America has a new stealth bomber after years of covert development. The B-21 Raider, built by Northrop Grumman, is the first new American bomber in more than 30 years. Almost every part of the program is classified. Until this week, only renderings were available, and the, quote, big reveal was really just a handful of images. It looks similar to the B-2 Spirit Bomber and the B- that the B-21 is going to replace. The Pentagon is trying to modernize its, quote, nuclear triad, which also includes silo-launched nuclear ballistic missiles and submarine-launched warheads. All of this is part of a, is a, part of a shift from counter-ter- counterterrorism campaigns to meet China's rapid military modernization. China is going to have 1,500 nuclear weapons by 2035. The country also has the lead in hypersonics and cyber warfare. And this week, the Pentagon said these gains pose, quote, the most consequential and systemic challenge to U.S. national security and the free and open international system. The B-21 is built to survive these emerging threats. Six Raiders are now in production. The Air Force plans to build a hundred of them that can be used with or without a human crew. The cost is unknown. The Air Force previously estimated that 100 aircraft would cost an average of $550 million each, but that was in 2010. Today, that would be roughly $753 million. Now, no word on what the Air Force is actually spending, but that works out to about $75,300,000,000 in some change. (laughs) The Raider will not make its first flight until 2023. However, Using advanced computing, Northrop has been testing the Raider's performance using a digital twin. The bomber went from contract award to debut in seven years. In the previous story, Andy, we were talking about that rapid development time, and it is just incredible how to see these advanced manufacturing techniques, how they have sped R&D and development. Uh, yeah, this, the story mentioned that um, previous programs for this sort of thing can take decades, Yeah, not like seven years. years. Yeah. Um, also, if they built a, a nuclear stealth bomber in seven, maybe we could get a electric semi and <laughs> on time, but hey, whatever. Um, so as you mentioned here, all we have to go on are, are the pictures really. Yeah. And the pictures are neat. Yeah. I mean, it looks as a neat looking air or a jet or bomber. Um, but there's not really a ton else to talk about here because everything is so top secret. Yeah. The technologies it's using, the manufacturing techniques, the cost, and it's 
goes without saying that you can't go broadcasting that sort of thing to Moscow or Beijing. Yeah. But you just kind of have to, we're just kind of stuck sitting here and hoping we got our money's worth, really. Yeah, they can't do the uh, the YouTube tour. Correct. Of everything inside. Correct. Check yeah. out all the components. They could, they just have to blur everything out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeff, you know, what were your thoughts on the B-21 we have run a couple of stories leading up to it about what yeah. we were going to see, like maybe, you know, the top <laughs> things to look for in it. And I feel like that might be the most we hear about it, period. Let's hope so, because yeah. we know way too much about the Osprey, right? Yeah. That the, the first vertical liftoff chopper, we know way too much about that because of all the failures. Oh, okay. So hopefully we kind of stay in the dark here. I think that <laughs> means it's working and doing what it's supposed to do. You can get ready to roll your eyes now because I'm going to do that whole thing where I talk about the thing that leads to the thing because <laughs> all of the stuff that we do know about this bomber, it is all stuff we've covered. When mm-hmm. we talk about the new de- development of these new materials, which a lot of times doesn't get a ton of interest on the sites, but it's so critical when you look at really what this this bomber is about, which is stealth maneuvering yeah. and responding to hypersonic threats from China. All of those things are going into this. We talk a lot about mobile computing advancements. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of this. The amount of data that this thing can process internally just within its own operating system is incredible. And that's a part of the new face of modern warfare, yeah. essentially being able to not only have that much data available immediately, but also to extract and store and keep it secure. Mm-hmm. So all of these things that we've talked about are coming to fruition with this plane with yeah. this this bomber. Also, the name just got to bring it up again. I know we talked about it previously, but the Raider coming from Doolittle's Raider Raiders, great story, and from the onset of World War II, we'll definitely look it up and take a look at that as well. But that those were the, my first thoughts yeah. coming after this. Again, especially with the stealth dynamics, it's all the stuff we've talked about coming to fruition in really this one awesome example that hopefully we'd never know that much about. I'm not, I'm not going to roll my eyes at the catchphrase. It's, I mean, really, I, uh, you know, we cover so many stories from the DARPA side of things. And I like to stress how DARPA holds these open forums where anybody with any idea that could maybe work is welcome to come and pitch. And it is cool to see when all of that comes together, you know, like, Advanced materials used in coatings that are going to make the bomber harder to detect. Uh, new ways to control the electronic emissions so that the bomber can spoof adversary radars and disguise itself as another object. Uh, a new propulsion, uh, new propulsion technologies. And, um, all of it are things that we saw an original proposal for at some point. Yep. And it's just really cool. Yeah. I also would note that, man... Fear can sell a lot of planes. Well, you know, that's one of the ironic things here. Sorry to, no, to no, cut you off, but like with the name of it, coming from Doolittle's Raiders, the Raider, remember those guys bombed Tokyo and then landed in China. Mm-hmm. This this bomber is basically in response to a lot of the threats represented by China. Yeah. So kind of ironic how things have turned it's in the last 60 years. Kind of an unsettling reminder of... Uh, you know, that this all, we we kind of grew up as the Cold War was ending and there's been this Pax Americana kind of, uh, we've obviously been at, at war for, you know, two decades now, mm-hmm. um, but that's always felt very thousands of miles away. And there's it's worth remembering, even though it's a downer, that there's these threats are out there. None of this is guaranteed. So that is a downer. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, to pile on your downer. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I just got caught by the 1,500 nuclear weapons by 2035? Because to me, that seemed excessive. 
And <sighs> I looked it up. In 1947, researchers at the Los Alamos Laboratory did a study, and they found that it would take 100, 100 nuclear warheads to destroy all of humanity. So 1,500 seems excessive. Isn't there an apocryphal story about how the Soviets had way fewer nuclear weapons, and they said, well, we only need so many, you know? Yeah. What are you building all these for? It, I don't know. That's, I don't understand. That's part of the race I don't understand. It's just like, can't we have a treat? Okay, we know we all, all of us only need 10, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's too much common sense associated to debate any of that. I mean, I... Yeah. yeah. All right. Our next most popular story. Lawmaker calls for saving the car radio. Since the 1960s, the radio has been a staple of modern automobiles. It has survived tape decks, CD players, and even podcasts. Like the Dane Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by IAN and Manufacturing.net. But now, the biggest threat seems to be the shift from gas-powered engines to EVs. <clears throat> Radio can be hard on the car's battery, if used, particularly when the engine isn't on. Some auto industry experts think it's time for AM radios to pull into the great rest stop in the sky because of their impact on long-term EV battery performance. BMW doesn't even offer AM radio on the i4, iX, and i7, all electrics, and Ford is doing the same thing with the F-150 Lightning electric pickup, which I found surprising. At least one lawmaker doesn't like what he sees. Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey asked 20 automakers this week to continue putting AM radios in their vehicles. He said that the absence of free broadcast radio could pose, quote, a significant communication problem during emergencies. Ford says it's not just battery concerns, but AM frequencies can be affected by electromagnetic noise in EV propulsion systems. The company also noted that most AM stations are available via streaming services. Jeff. I was surprised that there are already four vehicles on the market that don't have AM radios, and I kind of thought maybe this is one of those moments where, based on my opinions, I feel and am judged as an old person. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about this in the office. Yeah, I don't know that my daughters have ever actually gotten into a car and reached to listen for the radio. Mm-hmm. It's always been streaming off of their device or, or what have you, so... But I do agree with the senator on this one. I yes. do think it's important to keep these in place. Number one, just the dynamics of an AM radio broadcast versus the ability to stream something. Um, it's just a more rugged, more durable platform. Mm-hmm. In case something horrible would happen, I mean, we were just talking about some pretty dark elements that are or threats that are out there. I think it is good to have that secure form of communication embedded within something as important as your vehicle. I think that's, that, that's vital. Um, what this also got me thinking about is... Now, AM radio has been around longer than EVs. It kind of seems like if it was that detrimental to communicating with some of the vehicle's internal electrical systems, we should have been knowing about this a little sooner. Yeah. I also think it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to we need as much power as possible to extend that range as far as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. We talked last week about Ford putting out all of those sort of, hey, here's a heads up as the temperatures get colder and you want to maintain charge in your electric vehicle. This seems like a bit of a... I don't want to say overreaction, but kind of maybe emphasizing something that isn't that big of a gain or a savings um, in terms of eliminating the AM radio. Yeah. Um, I, I would tend more to 
let's keep it in there. Let's keep sort of that paradigm in place because I think that's almost does more to assure confidence in electric vehicles than it does in maybe saving a, a couple extra miles on the range. Yeah, the one saving miles. I mean, I get it if the if it's uh, the electronic interference is the biggest issue. Sure. Because when you think of a car being on or had the radio being on when the car is off, you rarely think of AM radio. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. Andy, the only time I think of AM radio on at a car on a car when it's not on is maybe when tailgating. Otherwise, you know, it's at the beach, it's somewhere else, you're working, and you just want to have some music on in the background. What were your thoughts on the possibility of AM radio going away with the introduction of mainstream EVs? So I, I worked on this story um for, for our video that we did on this, and the the source I used kind of focused on more of the battery element and kind of the, the long-term detrimental effects, but it sounds like the interference is the bigger issue here. And it sounds like Marky and uh, the auto industry are kind of talking past each other because okay. he's saying this is a vital communications emergency uh, system that we need. And they're saying it doesn't work. It's engineering. It's not us. It's engineering. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, that seems hard to argue with. I mean, you can say you want AM radios, but, and, Digging into it a little deeper in preparation for this, the the auto industry has been kind of fighting over frequencies and stuff right. for 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 year, decades, mm -hmm. um, and it has just gotten much more intense with the advent of electric vehicles and the systems that they need. So it's just kind of it's not a new issue; it's just gotten a lot more um, intense. And I don't know what the resolution is really. I mean, because I don't know how you argue with engineering. Um, I mean, maybe maybe the answer is just making sure these vehicles are connected at, mm. at, at all times because that way that seems like I know it's less hardwired than your AM radio frequencies, but that way seems like a more efficient way to blast emergency communications anyway yeah. if you're connected to the internet. And also, I mean, you can get your radio station on your phone just as easy. So <clears throat> maybe that's I, – I hesitate to say this is where AM radio goes to uh, – this is what finally does in AM radio, but mm – -hmm. Maybe. Well, that was my biggest takeaway is that maybe it's time to modernize and change the radio paradigm. I know, but I know, didn't radio lose a lot of that spectrum space, which has gone to um, a lot of wireless communication, yeah. defense, okay, TV, that sort of stuff. Yeah, because I didn't know if, say, a handful of the AM stations could transition to FM. There's, there's a finite and limited and increasingly small share that that people can use for kind of not recreational but non-defense non-telecom stuff well and as this paradigm paradigm changes there needs to be improvement to an emergency broadcast system because to your point andy if they're not connected there has to be a way in order for everybody to be able to tune in in the event of some sort of catastrophic emergency there has to be. Yeah. And I, I guess to me, and I guess you can define emergency or the need for news differently, but even, for example, I was driving during the last, um, when the election was being settled and results were coming in, I wanted my AM radio so I could hear from some of those pundits on what was going on. Yeah. Um, that's just the types of news that I was looking for. Or sometimes when the weather's bad, I like having the AM radio on just to know what's going on and what I'm going to be dealing with. So I get where all that's coming from. Um, I can appreciate the bandwidth limited limits. Um, with, with everything else. Um, and in, to Andy's point, the engineering perspective, if it's really that disruptive, we do need to figure that out. But it seems like instead of throwing one thing away, we can work to enhance another thing. We can mm -hmm. make the electronics 
um, the inner, inner workings of the EV better to get past that. Do you guys know why this would be a deal breaker for me? I mean, I know why it probably would be for me, but why don't you enlighten me? Well, what is the one thing you can get on AM that you cannot stream anywhere? Sports. You can't, you can't, there is no, you can stream part. it. You just got to pay for it. Well, I mean, is there a streaming? Yeah. Like, uh, wait, so you, can you stream? So do you need like the MLB app to stream even the in-market games, right? I don't know that off the top yeah. of my head. Okay. According to producer Eric, you can stream on the individual apps, but I really on long drives, I love listening to the game. And those are things that are pretty notoriously not available on free platforms. Mm -hmm. And uh, my goodness, uh, apt enough already. Um, (laughs) uh, That's a big one for me. It was just, it's a limited amount of programming that I really rely on AM radio for. And I wouldn't be able to find that anywhere else. I don't know. I, uh, and it would definitely, if that would be the part that would sway me from not getting an EV. I, uh, in a lot of ways, I fear change and, uh, <laughs> being able to, being able to punch a button and have the radio come on is, uh, is one that I wouldn't care for. Yeah. The three of us are like, you got to keep this. Yes. If we had people, you know, 20 years younger, they'd be like, who cares? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where are you at, Nolan? What are you thinking? <laughs> uh, but to that point, nearly 90% of Americans, 12 and older, Listened to AM or FM radio each week prior to the pandemic. So, twelve and older, huh? Twelve because they were passengers and they had no, <laughs> no they had no uh, option there, right? If it was up to me, I'd turn it off. <laughs> it seems like increasingly, sports and stuff are on FM radio. Yeah, to me, okay. I don't, I don't there's know if that's the, it feels, what it feels option. like. So, yeah. Yeah. maybe that's just anecdotal. Here. But okay. yeah, I used to put on six twenty and listen to Bob Euchre, and now he's they're on any number of fm stations around uh around the state okay well like as long i don't know as to change and i can i can still get the uke yeah i'm fine okay all right he's a very he's a very calming presence in my life yeah me too <laughs> our next most popular story the man who invented the rubik's cube celebrates lasting puzzle this was a surprise hit on the website this week The Rubik's Cube is an incredible story, one that began as a toy to tap into basic human activity. Problem solving. Erno Rubik invented the cube in 1974. More than 450 million cubes have been sold since, as well as lines of related toys, and they even optioned a movie. A Rubik's Cube movie. I remember a cartoon growing up. Yeah? Where it's like a magic Rubik's Cube character or something. I mean, it wasn't good. Yeah. But I can remember what was there. <laughs> cube solvers can compete the Rubik's Cube in a matter of seconds. The record is 3.47 seconds, at least for now. Rubik was a budding artist who wanted to be a sculptor or a painter before he studied architecture. He became a teacher and used he liked to use physical models and materials to teach concepts in construction and design. It was at this time that he created the magic cube. Rubik says, quote, one of the main keys of the cube is the contradiction between complexity and simplicity. On one hand, the cube is a very simple form. And on the other hand, the potential of the variation of movement is so complicated. He adds, it's a very nice proof of the power of silence. In 2014, the Rubik's Cube was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Andy, have you ever solved a Rubik's Cube? Not even close. <laughs> Me neither. We, uh, we had one 
uh, growing up, I'm sure it was long gone by the time I was in middle school or had even a little more, uh, brain power to try and solve it. But no, I, uh, if you know anything about me, you know, I grew impatient with that pretty fast and put it away where it wouldn't annoy yeah. me. I was, you know, uh, I went the other way where once I realized you could peel the stickers off. Yep. Yeah. Oh, solved it. Oh, there you, you go. Just put it down and then they fall off right away. Um, do you ever have a friend who told you how easy it was? Oh, and not only a friend, but, uh, our friend John is actually one of these speed cube solvers. And when my son was two, he stayed over and it blew his mind. Like, because I mean, that blow fast, my mind. Come yeah, on. How yeah. fast he spins that thing. And like, you know, he get, he'll give you the cube and you can mix it up to the best of your ability. And he, I don't know what he does. He like, he just finds like three or four different points. And then he tells you about how many seconds he'll solve it in. And he's just like, bep, 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 and it's over. See, I was all set to, to roast the uh, inventor here for his advice on how to solve it. Like, Oh, just break it up into smaller parts, but maybe I should have listened to him instead of no, being mad about it. I think John's in the minority here. I okay. think it's mostly, it is amazing. The lasting power of a cube that generally frustrates most of its mm-hmm. customers. Yeah. Um, what were your other insights into Erno Rubik, who also doesn't seem like the greatest person to like share a beer with? Um, I mean, maybe, <laughs> Maybe maybe he gets a little more uh, more verbose once he's ahead. What, he's Hungarian, right? They uh, Eastern Europe. You never know. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. But based on the quotes, I was like, I think this is enough from this guy. Could be. <laughs> uh, he said his he's made his contribution to society. He's good. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like I sold four hundred fifty million cubes. Mm-hmm. What's up? Yeah, retired. Yeah. <laughs> um. I also I was really interested in the origin of the cube, how it was created as a learning tool. Jeff, I wonder what other puzzles and stuff he made that maybe obviously aren't as popular as the Magic Cube. Yeah, I was also a peel the stickers off guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. There is apparently a formula if you can figure it out. When in doing some research here too, the thing that blew me away is some of these celebrities that are awesome at this. Oh, yeah. The foremost celebrity is actually Chris Pratt. Oh, who come I on. I never would have thought would be a Rubik's Cube guy, but all what right. What can't that man do? I guess. Did you know this is the best-selling toy in history? Well, I mean, it's in the Hall of Fame, that over 450 million. Really? That, uh, so what? That, I if mean, we had one, so did everybody else. So, but I mean, it's yeah. not like it sold more than Hot Wheels. According to the Says, research I did, it's the I number can. one selling toy in history. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, yeah, you would Hot Wheels. You're right. Yeah, I think that would that would be up I, there. But. I have one Rubik's cube in my house. I have the better part of 200 Hot Wheels in the house. Yeah, right now. that's a good call. We'll see. We'll anyway, see. yeah, and what's crazy is like it still sells over 20 million of these things a year. Man, I mean that is insane. And all the knockoffs I came remember, there's pyramids and everything oh, else. Yeah. So yeah, it is crazy. Um, I thought one of the coolest parts, one of the coolest quotes actually from the story was was from the inventor, and he talks about it proving the power of it's proof of the power of science. So I think that is really cool. He had the ultimate background in putting this together as an architect and a mathematician, and it came together and it worked out. It is, it's not something I would have thought would have had the staying power that it's had, but sometimes the the simple things are just the, the most interesting. So. It's compact. You can put it anywhere. So that's yeah. that's how uh, it just gets stuck in everybody's Well, and for a while, these were like, they were keychains. Oh, yeah. They mm-hmm. were just anything you could possibly imagine was a Rubik's Cube. In late 2020... Spin Master bought the brand for $50 million. And that seems low. That to does me. seem low. You know? Yeah. It, the best selling toy. I mean, Spin Master, that, you know, heck of a deal, Spin Master. I would think a lot of those knockoffs got to be hurting it. 
Yeah. You know? Well, actually, I, don't, I wonder how many of the knockoffs, how many are knockoffs and how many are part of this. Uh, how did they word it? Yeah, licensing or whatever. Yeah. Relating yeah. toys. Yeah. Um, the speed cubers, to your point earlier, Andy, it is, they are incredible to watch it where I don't even understand how it was solved in front yeah. of me. In, 20, uh, in 2010, a group of mathematicians and computer programmers got together and they found that any Rubik's Cube could be solved in 20 moves. So, goals. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would time me out like a dartboard at some point. It'd be like after like 200 moves, they'd just be like, you're cut off. Right. I wonder how many t- Rubik's Cubes have been sold to the same person. You know, because out of frustration... You, I mean, you gun that thing yeah. across the road and smash it. I'm going to need to ask for Santa for another Rubik's mm-hmm. Cube. All right. Our most popular story this week, and Jeff called this one last week, actually, the vehicle models that won't return for 2023. American automakers are continuing the longstanding trend of shifting to larger vehicles. USA Today recently outlined nine cars that will die in 2022. And this is via Edmonds. The Acura ILX. Buick Encore, Chevy Spark, Ford EcoSport, Honda Insight, Hyundai Accent, or Ascent, Hyundai Ascent, Lexus RXL, the Toyota Avalon, the Volkswagen Passat. The industry expects vehicle sales to remain stagnant next year. However, while supply chain problems should somewhat ease, Jeff demand could lag due to uncertain economic conditions. Any of the particular cars on this list blow your mind jeff the one that i was still on i think we actually talked about this last year was the passat that mm-hmm. one sort of sort of catches my attention just because it was so popular i mean we're looking 10 years ago that was selling over one hundred twenty-five thousand uh, models a year here in the u.s so or vehicles uh, a year in the u.s and to see how that just dropped you could just see as as the consumer gravitated towards suvs smaller sedans didn't want the larger larger sedan um yeah it just started going away some of these kind of make more sense from a marketing perspective. When you look at, for example, the Encores going away in favor of the Encore GX, basically, and I wonder if this is a bit of a trend too, brought on by fewer chips, production issues, all that stuff is supposed to extend into 2023. I think your base model is going away. Yeah. Whereas before, if you went into the dealership and said, I want a new vehicle, just I don't need any bells and whistles. Just give me the lower tier base model. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to have that. I think we're in the age of customization. So when you're coming in, it's yes, the the manufacturer is going to make that, but you're going to have to put what you want on there in terms of picking the trim package or if you want extra space or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's just going to be what you have. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're going immediately to maybe that mid-tier right from the start. And I think that's kind of what happened like with the Encore and the Encore GX. Some of the other ones didn't really surprise me. You know, when we look at some of the um, the compact vehicles, just from trends, you can see those just not being of interest yeah. as EVs become more popular, as fuel efficiency becomes better. And again, in a couple of these, it made a lot of sense. Let's get rid of the Insight and call it the Civic Hybrid. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Civic has a brand name. Everybody knows what it is. They, there's reliability attached to it. Mm-hmm. You can see Honda was basically calling this something else initially to make sure it went okay. Yeah. Let's not Typhoon, one of our best brands here, if this whole EV thing doesn't work out. It is. Let's get rid of the Insight. Kind of the same deal with Acura and the ILX and the Integra. The Integra is a great brand. Let's utilize it more. So yeah. a lot of these kind of did make sense. Nothing too dramatic um, that I saw. Andy, I've driven a Buick Encore and a Ford EcoSport. No surprises there. Okay. But 
I did ride in a Toyota Avalon just two days ago, and it was a pleasant experience. It was kind of that uh, near entry towards semi-Toyota luxury. Yeah. And um, enjoyed that one. This story... Um, we focused more on the demise of those uh, those subcompacts you were talking about because there's this longstanding trend toward more trucks, SUVs, and those those kinds of vehicles. They have less profit margin, and they're kind of uh, they're suffering as mm-hmm. as a result of that. Car car makers are saying, "Well, we'll just go where the market is leading us." Um, but most of these other ones, it's just a matter of kind of revising their their model lineup. As I shuffle through papers here, I'm trying to figure out what the Avalon's going. The Avalon, uh, after three decades, is going to be replaced by the Crown, the Toyota Crown, which is described as a semi-luxury full-size sedan, whatever oh, okay. that so means. So they're just kind of, they just, maybe it just doesn't have the the kind of brand sticking power and they're decided to try something else. Yeah. I don't I'll know. Be in a, I'll be in a Toyota Crown yeah. next time <laughs> I get diverted from Madison to Milwaukee late night and they Uber me back. Oh, that was the, uh, the that Uber was the adventure. Yeah. I had a long time in the back of an Avalon and I just like, you know, it's cozy. Yeah. The seats are nice. The, uh, I have never experienced backseat seat warmers. Hey, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Uh, you worked on this one. Um, Andy, anything else that came up when you were working on the piece that sort of surprised you? Well, we, I believe both certainly on the website, probably on this podcast, we've talked about the the spark before mm-hmm. just because that was, if not the least expensive new car you could get, it was one of them. It was around 15 K. Yeah. And so now Chevy's next most economical model, I think is the Malibu and it is 70, 80% more expensive, something oh, like wow. that, some crazy amount. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a shame because you'd think that'd fill a niche, but at that budget point, you're probably looking at a used car anyway. So yeah. the car um, just not making enough money for the automaker. Yeah. The, the Passat, um, the, the article basically said that they, they had a limited run. So it was on this list last year and then they did a limited run, but now I guess we'll see next year when we do this story again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, that should be the end of the Passat, um, in the U S market. Um, and the other thing was the Integra, which we talked about. Um, that just to me seems like more proof that the nineties are back because that's, <laughs> Those seem to be around a fair amount uh, when I was growing up. So uh, it'll be nice to see that back again. I was not, uh, not a lot of surprises for me either. Uh, As we see everything being replaced by SUVs, crossovers, and EVs. Jeff, to Andy's point about the Spark, is it a problem that we don't have more economical vehicles, new vehicles available for new new drivers people looking people on a pretty intense budget don't we need a model car that is lower so the the part of me that wants all tiers of a market to be able to be served says yes mm-hmm. but the true believer in capitalism in me says they already said no yeah like okay. they're not yeah. buying it yeah that's true so while i do like those outlets those options out there especially when the used car market returns to not crazy. I mean, right now it's ridiculous, like Andy was alluding to. And that's where those guys are really falling off because it costs so much for a used vehicle. Um, you can get something a little bit bigger, more bells and whistles. Yeah, it's got more miles on it, but cars last longer now. Yeah. So that's, I think, what's hurting them the most. Plus, I mean, people want a little bit of sex appeal with their vehicle, too. And those were pretty stripped down. Saying the spark's so. not sexy? 
<laughs> you know what? There's probably some folks out there who disagree with me, but yeah, it doesn't do much for me. Spark enthusiasts unite. <laughs> uh, that's a good point that the market has spoken and yeah. these are, they're out. All right. Well, before we move on to, in case you missed it, we have another word from our new sponsor, Bright Machine. Manufacturing is long overdue for an overhaul. Transformation will commence in three, redesigning for intelligent automation, deploying software-first solutions, two, driving continuous improvement, one, flexibility, scalability, resilience, factory transformation complete. Bright Machines. Let the new era of manufacturing begin. And we're back. Just remember that Bright Machines is a manufacturing technology, pioneering technology company that is pioneering intelligent, software-defined automation for electronics assembly. It leverages a full-stack approach to fundamentally change the flexibility, scalability, and economics of production. Bright Machines is reimagining how products can be designed and produced to address the realities of today and the future ahead. For more machines, for more machines, for more information, and to learn more, please go to brightmachines.com backslash contact us. Well, let's move into In Case You Missed It, the stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but do still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Andy, what was your In Case You Missed It this week? I am annoyed that this didn't make the top five because <laughs> I feel like the headline was worth the top five spot, but the market has spoken as we've talked about here. So this is headline is novel spray deploys billions of quote, tiny soldiers. Um, and it's talking about uh, McMaster university in Ontario. Uh, they have researchers working with an organism called bacteriophages. Uh, they are uh, viruses who are harmless to us, but consume bacteria. They encounter bacteria and they multiply basically. Um, they, uh, these researchers found a way to coax the virus to link together into very small beads, which can be basically included in a spray and applied to food uh, surfaces, basically any other material you like, um, and they would consume harmful bacteria. Uh, they particularly mention a strain of uh, E. coli. Not only did this uh, prove to be effective against foodborne pathogens, which, uh, as we've established here, is a problem in and of itself, uh, it could also replace conventional products, conventional antibiotics that promote antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, they could also be designed to leave beneficial bacteria alone. And because the researchers say they have this uh, kind of natural structure, they could be packaged and stored much more easily. Um, so as long as we can get over the idea of just housing viruses <laughs> while we're eating, yeah, uh, I don't see a ton of downside here. You don't. I mean... You don't see the zombie apocalypse angle that that jumped into my head, <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm not a virologist or anything and I'm, so I have to, you I have to trust. take these guys word for yeah, it. Sure. You trust it. I was surprised too. This was, this is a technology that solves a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. How many we do with food manufacturing, uh, you're the lead on that. There's almost a recall a day. Yes. And a lot of it comes down to contaminants that this potentially could. It's remedy. either it's either allergens, which this wouldn't do anything about, or it's salmonella, listeria, E. coli, that sort of thing. Jeff, would you mind if your steak was coated with tiny soldiers? No, <laughs> no. 
Not these soldiers. Yeah. You know, put the right ones on there. We're fine. No, I thought this was a fascinating story, too. I thought this was really cool. They talked about, especially when you get into the other applications. Yeah, I mean, you could see how this could help the food processing industry in so many ways, food service industry. Um, Geez, our kids' lunches, you know, when they're going to school. I mean, just putting this on the trays or or on the actual food itself. But I think that there's also potential down the road. You think about medical applications. They talked about developing where else this could go. And when you think at the cost and the time associated with making sure that operating rooms, recovering rooms are sterile and Mm -hmm. clean, I mean, that is the biggest issue or biggest one of the biggest challenges, I should say, within a hospital is making sure there's no infections, whether Mm -hmm. it's a surgery or or otherwise. So if we can get this type of stuff where you're basically walking around with a Windex bottle equivalent and taking care of folks, making sure that things don't get infected and everything's clean – I mean, the cost savings there could be through the roof. Yeah. There's a lot. I think there's a lot more to be done with, I guess, good bugs or. And we need to get past like that stigma, right? I mean, they're already out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're just controlling and directing them a little bit. So, Right. One thing I wanted to also mention here, they mentioned in this article um, that researchers uh, in the early part of the last century were doing a lot of uh, promising work on phages right up until they figured out penicillin. Oh. And that was the end of that. Okay. So it's good to good to see that that work hopefully come back around a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. My, in case you missed it this week, was about missing hardware that could lead to catastrophic helicopter failures. On June 8th, 2022, at about 526, a Bell 407 helicopter was about 30 minutes into an air tour flight when it went into an uncontrolled spin in Hawaii. The craft crashed and was severely damaged in the accident. But all six passengers survived. Everyone lived, but everyone was injured three severely. Afterward, one passenger said she saw something fall off the helicopter as it was spinning around and crashed. And while you're already in a very traumatic event, finding watching pieces fall off Probably not the best. The crash triggered an NTSB investigation that found the tail boom about 762 feet away from the wreckage. Investigators found that the attachment hardware installed in one of four fittings that attached the tail boom to the fuselage was missing and never recovered. The remaining three fittings and hardware were found, but one had multiple fatigue fractures and two had overload fractures. On Friday, the NTSB urged the FAA and Transport Canada to require immediate and more frequent inspections of specific components on Bell 407 helicopters. Hundreds of these choppers are in service. Police departments, air ambulance providers, tour operators are among the ones that use them most, but many others are in service. The NTSB believes that the Bell 407 helicopters in service could have missing or fractured tail boom attachment hardware that could lead to a catastrophic failure. I, I picked this one for a number of reasons. One, I thought it was going to be more popular, but it maybe it speaks to the amount of people that just never ride or never care to ride in a helicopter. Um, but it also is a good reminder of the importance of every single component. <laughs> this is just another story where it comes down, you know, it comes down to essentially a, a bolt and a nut that uh, just didn't meet spec in a very mission critical part, like the tail boom attachment. Um, 
Bell, the FAA, and Transport Canada also haven't responded. And that was kind of a shock to me, too, where not even a, you know what? We'll look into that. That sounds bad. You're just looking forward to the NHTSA report that you can cozy up with by the fireplace and really dig into. I <laughs> dig want into you that love guy. Those. I love those reports. They I take so many photos. I was not making fun of you. No, I no. know that you legitimately like those. It's just like, you know, as you're reading the story, you're like, I wonder what a tail boom or no. Yeah. A tail boom looks like that went careening 800 feet away from a spinning helicopter. And then they give you a hundred photos of it. You're like, Oh, that is, yeah, that's not good. That's jacked up. So in looking at this one, David, is this considered, did they come out? Is this a manufacturing defect or is this a maintenance issue? It seems like both primarily, but primarily a, um, a maintenance issue because this one was in service. Everything was up, um, above board in terms of, I think it's every 300 flight hours it needs to be serviced again. And they wanted to cut that, I think, in half, if not a third, just so you can catch this a little bit sooner. Because the last time that this craft was serviced, everything was fine. Yeah. It's always the little things. Yeah. Andy, your thoughts on the helicopter that crashed in Hawaii? I I don't particularly love flying on airplanes anyway. Mm -hmm. I make myself do it. Sometimes I have to go for work. I like traveling, that sort of thing. I don't think I'm ever getting into a helicopter. Oh, they're awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've never been in one. We, was it in the service or? Uh, yeah. Otherwise? We had some Blackhawk um, pilots that needed some extra time. So they took us up. It was, it was a good time. So, yeah. All right. I just, I, I've seen too much in this line of work. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, I mean, my next opportunity would probably be at a festival, you know, where yeah. they have the helicopter landing in somebody's cornfield. Yeah. You see them going over like Cornfest in Sun Prairie and you're like, that's what you're going to. I don't think I want that to be my first helicopter ride. Not that, not that it's like bad. It just you'd rather be over the Grand Canyon or something, right? That's true. Yeah. Actually, oh, that would be amazing to do one of those helicopters. Or yeah. the I think they do them over Vegas too. Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. Um, Vegas always looks better from a distance. It definitely <laughs> does. It definitely does. Um, no, it was a uh, it was kind of a shock to me, but I was also like I said, I was surprised that nobody came out and really. It, it happens all the time. NTSB comes out with these recommendations and then the industry does nothing. Well, especially a big name like Bell. You would yeah. think they would have been all over this and kind of been prepared a little bit more. So you're right. It is kind of surprising. There wasn't more of an immediate response to it. Yeah. Jeff, you're in case you missed it this week. So Andy took my first choice. So oh. It was a great call with, with his story. There was a couple others that and if you get a chance, like we didn't mention them here, but I mean, there's a really interesting article that we uh, we had, I think it was yesterday, on um, the hacks through the Sirius radio system. Oh, um, yeah. That's a really good one. The other one I was looking at was this new implant where soldiers are able to control weapons with their minds type of technology. Yeah. So I thought about that, but I cannot pass up a good farming story. <laughs> okay. So I picked Monarch Tractor, which makes their MKV fully electric driver optional smart tractor. So they're getting their first ones off the line at their Livermore, California facility. Um, basically, this comes about two years after Monarch started. The Monarch said they were going to put these tractors out. And they're working with actually a really interesting partner in Constellation Brands. Constellation, which you probably haven't heard of unless you're really deep into the food and beverage side of things. They're the folks behind Corona like beer, no. um, Robert Mondavi wines, if you're familiar with that, and Svedka Vodka. Those mm-hmm. are probably the most well-known brands that they have out there. So you can see the connection there between those brands and the products that they produce, wanting to get on board with this incredible tractor. The thing that I like about it, yeah, it's an EV. That's great from the environmental perspective. Obviously, benefits there. If there is one area where autonomous operation can really 
have a huge impact. I do think it's in agriculture, especially in farm work. Mm -hmm. It is hugely time consuming. It is an incredibly uncomfortable job. If you've ever been on a tractor in a hay field when it's cold, um, when it is dusty, I mean, it is, it's not a great place to be. I mean, granted, they've come a long way in terms of what they've got in the cabs of those tractors now. Mm -hmm. But if a, tra if a farmer can avoid the time in the field and put that into actually running his business, his or her business, that's a huge time savings that's going to allow them to just improve their entire operation. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really a big part of Monarch Tractor is all of the data acquisition that's involved. <clears throat> it's a smart tractor, so while it's in the field, it's also taking measurements. It's understanding mm -hmm. what's going on with the soil, making um, kind of AI-related suggestions on what can be done to improve output and production. So I just think this checks a ton of boxes. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this works with Constellation. They're the first one. Uh, Monarchsters, they do have standing pending contracts with a lot of larger family farms mm -hmm. and, and other uh, vendors as well. So we'll see how these first couple go out with Constellation. They're going to try them out. And, uh, but overall, I think it's very, I'm very optimistic in terms of what the technology is and the impact it could have. Because remember, I mean, we're talking about something pretty basic here. And if we can get better at making food, yeah. And smarter about it. And the more we can do and the more people, I mean, it's ridiculous what we've talked about on this podcast before, the areas of our country where people don't have food, right. don't have access to fresh fruit and vegetables. And then you compound that around the world mm -hmm. with this type of technology that's making a real world impact. No, I, having grown up on a farm, I didn't know anything other than an antique tractor doing the work, you right. know, but this is incredible in terms of, you're right, the autonomous driving in terms of giving and you're not talking about saving an hour or two for a farmer. You're talking days yeah. that they could use on working at different parts of their business or just around the farm. The other smart technology is when it comes to planting the seeds at ideal positions and knowing uh, different parts of the land that need to be taken care of differently. Yeah, Different you know, plowing, different cultivation methods. Absolutely. Yeah. I think agriculture, I don't know, maybe Andy, you disagree. Agriculture was one of those things that we just figured we had industrialized and figured out. And the technology has just really served on a bell, uh, not a bell curve, a hockey stick in terms of the innovation coming out for the agricultural industry. There are leaps and bounds as far as automated systems. They're way ahead of, as far as vehicles go, way ahead of anything else. And it's just a matter of, uh, this is a way to make you more efficient to grow more things. So they're of course they embraced it. And there's not as many of the safety issues as you would see, you know, putting vehicles on the road. They're in, they're in the field, they're controlled by the computer and they can, you can send it and it'll, it'll do the work and make your, make your business more successful. So anything, certainly this tractor, anything else to push that technology ahead, it benefits not only agriculture, the food chain, it's that technology has impacts all the way down the line. So Jeff, I see you retiring to your farm and just sitting back on your porch watching the autonomous tractor go while the bird lasers, you know, <laughs> fire. Taking out the crows. <laughs> taking out the crows, yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, just put some LiDAR out there, a couple of uh, sensors, and you're good to go. Yeah, just uh, this gardening thing's a lot easier now. <laughs> Zap them. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts before we get out of here this week. Andy, what is your final thought? Tonight, pending... Uh, what happens at the wife's place of employment. We are going Christmas shopping, which uh, this may not surprise you. I'm not a huge shopping enthusiast except for Christmas shopping. I love Christmas shopping. So I'm nice. uh, excited to uh, hit the mall. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do it in one 
like one day? I kind of, okay. I kind of cheated. I got uh, most of the gifts um, have been taken care of via the internet, so I just got to pick up a few more things that I, uh, I have stringently put down on a list, so I don't have to venture too far. I don't have to make any snap decisions, so I can just kind of uh, get a hot chocolate and enjoy myself. Well, it's you know, it's hard when, especially if you're married or with your, you share accounts with partners. Mm-hmm. There are no surprises in terms of what you buy. Somebody just like, hey, I work from home and everything's delivered. So I opened it. Well, surprise. Merry Christmas. Um, I used to get the the credit card alerts from our. Oh, yeah. And so I would, I, I think we finally turned that off. But for a while, I was anything, anything she was buying, I would get a, like, a little thing on my phone. I was like, I got to turn this off. It's not good for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, my final thoughts this week. Uh, one, I was at. Uh, I did a little bit of traveling, went to New York for a day, and I had a layover at the Atlanta airport, and they have this really cool art installation with sculptures made out of crayons, and it's as you're coming up the escalator, there, uh, and I'll make sure that we have the graphics to go on the screen, but it's a bear, uh, a polar bear lounging in the water, and it was weird because you didn't see them, and all of a sudden I'm coming up the escalator, and I can smell crayons. I'm like, I thought I was having a stroke. Yeah. I'm just like, where are the crayons? And then you come up and there are these elaborate sculptures. Um, I don't know the artist, but if you can, I mean, just Google crayon sculptures in Atlanta and you'll find them. Are those new? They, you know? I, I don't know if they're new. I haven't seen them. Because I've before. been to that airport probably several times, but I'm always in airport mode. So I'm just kind of, here we go. No, I was in street. Where's, it took where's me the Chick-fil-A? Of, yeah, it took me out of airport mode because I was like, <laughs> where's that smell coming from? <laughs> The other final thoughts, and it's brief, but I did send out a request for people to see if they had similar troubles with Christmas lights because they are, well, they're so true. And actually, I put. I oh, I got another, those for sure. I meant to tell you, I got that. Oh, 100%, got 100%. Okay. I, I had another string go out and I just left it. It's on the back of the house. Uh, I put it up with my oldest son. I'm like, how does it look? He's like, it's broken, daddy. Like, oh, come on. Thanks, bud. But one person that reached out, and we don't have to say who it was, but (laughs) Jeff mentioned that he only buys top-of-the-line stuff. Top-of-the-line stuff. But someone that knows Jeff wanted to say, I don't know how to comment on the podcast, but I just bought Christmas lights this morning. Maybe or maybe not. They were destined for Jeff's house. Brought them home, and only half the string works. Jeff, it gets all of us. I am so glad you brought that up. Oh, no. <laughs> so glad. Yeah. Because the individual, while she is a wonderful, wonderful person. <laughs> see how we're keeping keeping this individual anonymous, my wife. Um, one of the things that that you should know is, and it's not user error. It's, it's just a dynamic that's in place. Anything that requires any type of electrical power, okay. a phone, a computer, Christmas lights, for some reason, they just challenge her. Yeah. Like, if there's something that's going to go sideways, yeah. it just it happens. So the other part of this story oh, is no. she took them back to Target mm-hmm. to return them. The individual plugged them in. Oh, no. Every single one oh, of them lit up. Come on! <laughs> on our tree as we speak. Come on! That sounds like something that happened to me. Uh. Furthermore, <laughs> last weekend, I hung up the outdoor lights. Yeah. Every single one of them. Is twinkling beautifully. You're an anomaly. Issue. Three out of four individuals in this room have suffered the wrath of evil, you know, roughshod 
LED Christmas manufacturers, and you got the good one. Yep. <laughs> oh, I should have known. When Follow I up saw, on your stories, David. When I saw you grinning, I was like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> What's your final no, thought? This yeah, she was, she was like, I can't believe this. Yeah. Take it in there, and every one of them lit up. Oh, it's fine. Man, so. Well, all right. I, I mean, something had to happen. I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. No, my I would agree with Andy on the um, Christmas shopping. It's kind of it feels good, you know. Where last year was still a little weird, but you got out there a little bit. This year, everybody's in full swing. It's just kind of fun to be going through the stores, like the West Town, the mall out here, which had been struggling lately. Mm-hmm. Got a little bit of a shot in the arm, so it was cool. Got the Christmas music going. Yeah, feels well, good. Into that point, I understand everyone wanting to buy things online. Every time I have gone Christmas shopping, I have found something else yeah. that I had not, not even thought of previously that that person would love. And so there is something to be said about still going out there. And you, have too many, you have too many options on the internet. Yeah. The stores, they cut it down for you. To that point, did you know that there is a board game version of Oregon Trail? No. Oh, the card one. I know that there's like a card this game. Is a yeah, board we have game. that one. Oh, okay. Not the, yeah, it blew me away. Okay. Is it good? The card game kind of kills you of dysentery pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, but I was interested. As long okay. as you still can get dysentery, I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll let my final thoughts rest with the Christmas lights Man! and go right to the polling question. Ah! We had a lot of good feedback again this week. Thanks to everybody who did that again. Uh, the question was long-term. Which of the following do you feel has the biggest potential upside or ability to have the most significant positive impact moving forward? We talked about the Barchetta concept car, Caterpillar's Proving Grounds, the Boring Company, armed robot police officers, Canoe's new tactical vehicle, or Hyundai's Pony Coupe concept. Mm-hmm. As some of those. So we had, some, like I said, some great feedback. The first one came from... Um, from William Brent, he said he thought that David, your McDonald's story from last week would actually have the most impact in terms of pest control and fast food. Mm-hmm. Hard to argue with yeah. that. I don't even drive past it anymore. <laughs> I've completely changed my path home because I can't even see it. But he said the misuse of police robots, um, in his honest opinion, is going to have the most impact. Terminator, anyone? Mm. So appreciate that, William. We also had a lot of other impact. Um, your guy, David, uh, Mr. Waterman, oh. um, was definitely on your side mm-hmm. um, in saying that he thought it'd be the Hyundai Pony Coupe concept. He said it's the crazy bad idea <laughs> that leads to the thing that leads to being able to 3D print your own concept car or resurrect an extinct auto and place it on a generic EV frame. So yes. He is with you there. I like it, Mark. Appreciate it, Mark. Um, we also heard from Jeff Abrams, our guy at the New Mexico Manufacturing Extension. <laughs> he had a nice intro. He said, let's see. Two bad automotive ideas. <laughs> One bad traffic congestion idea, the boring company, even though you get a really cool machine, and a liability nightmare with the robotic police officers. That leaves a mild derivative of an existing idea. Canoe, which he spelled with multiple O's. Mm. Thank you. Appreciate that, Jeff. Or the Caterpillar story. And Jeff, along with um, Kevin Smith, who said, Cat has the resources and testing capabilities to bring to the market an attractive fueled vehicle that can and will trickle down into the consumer vehicle market. The same as we have seen in the electronics field since the 70s, with organizations such as NASA developing system components that are now used in the automotive market. The overwhelming option was Caterpillar's Proving Grounds. That's what everybody thought is going to have the biggest impact moving forward. Hard to argue with that. No, that makes sense to me. And Mark, we will 3D print a pair of ponies 
and we will ride together and call it the Pony Express. Jeff? Going to have young gun style riding off into the sunset? Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll have a banging soundtrack, too. Bon Jovi playing? <laughs> Maybe. So, you know, we're in the holidays, um, time of year. Andy was talking about Christmas shopping, Christmas lights, all that good stuff. So I thought, let's put a polling question together, talking about which of the following things that we talked about today would you love to have as your holiday gift? Which of these would you like to have presented to you? Would it be that Tesla Semi? <laughs> How about the B-21 Raider? You know, I, was, I just finished up that documentary on Netflix about, oh. hey, Pepsi, where's my jet? Yeah. So kind of thought that about good? that one. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Um, how about a new car radio? Need one of those? Maybe a Rubik's Cube or any of those wonderful discontinued vehicles. Let us know which of these you'd like presented to you as your gift for the holidays. Got to get a CDL for that Tesla, yeah, right? A lot of realistic gift know, goals does, does Elon Musk have a CDL? You drove it out I there. thought about that when you mentioned that he drove it in there. I was like, mm, I don't know about that one. Maybe the, <laughs> maybe the rules are a little looser in uh, Nevada. I think the B-21 radar would be a little bit difficult to maneuver as well. I think I'd be more worried about that, but... Hey, you know what? It's, it's all Christ- out there. It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah, exactly. I got the B21 I've always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, hey, honey, uh, this doesn't seem realistic, but I need a spot for my new B21 Raider. Christmas miracles. <laughs> if any of you wants an old car radio, I could probably hook you up. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, that is a, I'm, I'm interested to see what people say, and yeah. especially the comments that come in as a result. Yeah, this should be good. <laughs> Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review. To email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Andy, or David at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Andy, thank you very much for joining us this week. Really it works all. It. Anytime. Crushed it. Also, make sure to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. Remember, we're at IEN Magazine on YouTube. We are close to those 8,000 subscribers. So help us out, share the word. Let's keep it rolling. Anna, I hope you feel better and hope to see you again soon. For Jeff, Anna, and Andy, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.